0: Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in scripture. Hey, this is Andrew Brill with Light Bears. And uh, normally, what we do is we talk about our, our discipleship work. But one of the things that we do, in addition to discipling students, is we fund missions. We use our rent profits to fund mission projects overseas. And uh, we are blessed today. We get to talk with one of our mission partners from overseas. We got John here. John serves in the North Africa, Middle East region and uh, happens to be in the States. And so it just seemed like a, a great opportunity to get with John and say, hey, give us some perspective on missions, on especially the place of Westerners in missions. We got a lot of college students who are thinking about overseas someday and um and and church partners who are obviously looking at doing work overseas. And so I'm um, just gonna take advantage of the fact that John's in country and and ask some questions. So um, John, great to have you here. Thanks for thanks for doing this.
1: Great to be here.
0: Um John, give us just a little, a little background. Um, you you're married, you got a family, um, and you've lived outside of the US for about 20 years. Um, how how did you get how'd you end up overseas? What was that process for you of learning to to seek the Lord and and end up overseas?
1: Well, you know, it's a a series of events over over many years, and maybe at the time didn't realize that the Lord was uh, directing us. But in hindsight, you can see what He was doing. Uh, When I was in college, um, I received a a pamphlet called Frontier Missions Update. And uh, I didn't order it, or I wasn't a member of anything, but I think we know where that came from. The Lord was uh, trying to get it across to us. If there was need out there, and this, because this pamphlet talked about unreached people groups, a group of people speaking the same language, sharing the same culture in a given area who had never heard the gospel, had no gospel witness among them, nor the word of God among them for them to hear. And uh, that blew my mind because I was used to, you know, living in the Bible belt where uh, everybody heard if you knocked on a door, they'd say, oh, I'm a member of First Baptist somewhere, that kind of thing. Uh, so it kind of blew my mind, and I didn't act on it at that time, but I never forgot it. So that later on, uh, when I was in uh, a seminary, uh, we started to learn more about unreached people groups, and of course I remember that term, and began to actually pray for specific unreached people groups. And uh, the Lord sort of narrowed it down for us uh, as time went by. Uh, specifically to a people group uh, where we serve now. Um, I mean, there's so many out there, but he has a specific plan for you and the trajectory of your life to intersect with someone who's lost in this world.
0: Yeah, and, you know, a lot of our, I mean, we do our work with college students, so a lot of these college students are at the point of saying, you know what's it? What's there for me after college? What do I do? Do I go to more school? And and some, not all, but some are considering moving overseas and serving in a in a missions context. What's you know you're in these situations, times where you're talking with college students. What's your what's your advice to those who are considering? Is this something that the Lord uh, might have for me? What's your advice to the person in that situation?
1: Well, I never received a lightning bolt revelation from the Lord about anything that he directed me to do in my life. It's more like things grew on me, like the idea grew on me. He would, he would plant the seed of the idea uh, through something like that Frontier Missions Update pamphlet. Um, he would uh, lead us uh, through uh, showing us things through circumstances or through uh, meeting people or becoming aware of something. Um, so, so I guess my advice would be to look for those things, be seeking God. You know, seek you first the kingdom of God and all and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, uh, if if uh, we're having the mind of Christ and and uh, praying and seeking Him, He's going to show you the things. Uh, but don't look for the lightning bolt. Look for the little things uh, that come in front of you, and and don't be um, distracted by those either. Because not everything that passes in front of you is something that you need to necessarily uh, pay attention or uh, uh, direct your life according to it. But the Lord shows you, I think, and, and there's an inner peace that happens, but we've got to be ready for it and seeking it. And in my, the early years, uh, when I was in high school, I wasn't really seeking the Lord. I was a believer, but I wasn't looking for those things. I wasn't looking for His will, and, and so I didn't see it. So I think my process was somewhat delayed. But at the end of the day, the Lord, uh, uh, He directs us. He has a process, and uh, we don't miss out.
0: It sounds like at the same time, what you're saying is the idea of seeking the Lord for your future is not absent from your personal holiness and sanctification. You know, it's, exactly you know, to be seeking the Lord for your direction, you also need to be following him in the day-to-day moment by moment. I know you and I have talked about that a little bit, but it sounds, I mean, I'm assuming you'd agree with that based on what you're saying.
1: Yeah, because even things like when I was in, uh, after I graduated from high school, I was working as a lifeguard and... When I was sitting there in the chair, uh, I was reading a book called Brother Andrew, God's Smuggler.
0: While being very focused on the people swimming, of course. Of course. yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> and, uh, you know, Brother Andrew uh, was a guy who smuggled Bibles into Russia. And uh, I never dreamed that I'd be doing something like that one day. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking all about missions at that point, but God used that to plant a seed. So it's over a period of time that we discover His will, but we got to be paying attention.
0: Just for clarity's sake, for our listeners, my name is Andrew. Totally different guy. I was never a part of smuggling Bibles into into Russia. Just, <laughs> I just want to make sure that we're clear on that one, folks. Um, John, when we um, when we've talked, one of the things we've talked about is yeah, college students. They have a lot of different skill sets. They have a lot of different things they do. Um, Sounds as if when folks are overseas, there's a lot of different things that can be done. It's not necessarily just, hey, I'm going to go over and I'm going to, um, you know, pitch a tent and I'm going to preach the gospel to thousands. When we talk about missions, that's the stereotype is you just kind of go over and you're sharing the gospel all the time. But you and I have talked about in most places, in lots of places, you, you have to have a, a job, a thing you do, a platform is words we use. I mean, talk about. Um, the need to have a skill and, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe some of what fills your days um, make it, make it a little practical uh, for our people.
1: In the 1040 window, uh, most of the opportunities to go where people have not had a chance to hear the gospel uh, that uh, between the 10th and 40th uh, parallels, um, uh, the person who wants to go there can't get a visa as a missionary. Um, in those countries either because they're Muslim countries or for other political reasons. So the person needs to uh, have a job and, but it's not just the person needs to have a job to get in the country. Uh, The person uh, has an opportunity to reach people through that job or platform. A platform is not something you hide under. It's something you launch from so that uh, whatever your skills are, uh, whatever your training is, uh, can be used as an engineer, nurse, a social worker whatever it is uh, that you've um have your degree in or have some experience in or or heading toward that uh, career path uh it's going to be needed it's going to be used god uses everything um every experience that he's allowed you to have in your life he will use it
0: interesting you know we were talking yesterday some about about uh, daniel well you could look at daniel and say his his platform was that of a government employee you know, exactly. when he is in exile, that's his job. He's serving as a government employee, and he, he launches out his ministry from that, and opportunities come up, um, and he's faithful to, to offer up that witness. And so I think that's, that's a great point to say. Platforms are something that you use to launch out your ministry, um, that can be a wide variety of things.
1: And ideally something that brings you contact with people. If your platform would involve sitting in an office eight hours a day, it might not be the best. Um, for reaching people with the light of the gospel, but if it has, if it's something that has you making contact with people on a regular basis, uh, daily, then that would be a good uh, platform.
0: Yeah, it's good. Um, you mentioned the ten forty window, um, and that it's important to have a, a platform, a you know, a, a job there. Any other main misconceptions you think that people have um, as they think about? Doing ministry in that part of the world, or or maybe not even misconceptions, but just hey, you know somebody who hadn't really thought about how missions there looks different from missions in you know the u s um, or you know predominantly christian areas what's what's the major difference that that we may not be aware of
1: I think if you ask anyone uh anywhere what does a missionary do uh, they would say uh, that they go to a foreign country, they learn a language and tell people about Jesus. It really is that simple. And telling people about Jesus in many of these countries in the 1040 window is easier than it is in America or Europe sometimes because people are not uncomfortable there talking about religion, talking about deeper things, spiritual things. Um, And so that may be a misconception that it's going to be hard to share. It's actually um, quite easy, uh, especially if you get into a conversation you don't just go and uh, and uh, stand on a street corner and start preaching, uh, but you can do that in effect if the conversation starts naturally. For example, uh, we go into a market and we're talking to someone, and and uh, you know the conversation turns to spiritual things, and pretty much uh, pretty soon we're speaking to that person about Christ, and you may even get a few other people who gather around. And uh, and they're listening as well. So in effect, you are preaching on a street corner, but you didn't set it up that way. Uh, with individual conversations, uh, people always want to go to deeper things uh, after just a little while. And many people are curious uh, about our belief, and many people are just dis- disillusioned with their belief and are looking for something else.
0: That said, obviously, there's there's a reason that most of these countries have very few believers. Um, I mean, give, give thoughts. Is that simply historical that that's why it's the case or the, you know, is there a lot of spiritual warfare at play that, that keeps people from coming to faith? There's lots of religious conversations and yet there's so much work left to be done. What, what do you, what do you attribute, um, as, as some of the causes there?
1: Well, because they're not having religious conversations with people who know the gospel. That's the, the whole issue about the 1040 window is the people there don't have an opportunity to encounter someone who knows Christ because people aren't going. More people need to go. So they, because we inevitably have those conversations with everyone we spend any amount of time talking to, every time, uh, if it's not just a, a very brief encounter where you're doing some kind of business and don't have time to talk, any conversation that, that goes longer than 10 minutes uh, you're going to have a chance to share the gospel uh, because the subject goes to those kinds of matters. You can, of course, steer the conversation. Many times you don't even have to do that.
0: As you've been there and you've seen this religious curiosity, and you said you've even seen some disillusionment with their own faith, that sounds as if you're seeing encouraging trends that um, that there are folks coming to faith, and and you are seeing some some movement of the Lord in these places. Is that that accurate as you've looked across the region?
1: Yes, all across the region, uh, people are seeking something else, something more than what they have, and people are coming to Christ, and groups are forming, Uh, churches um, are forming. Uh, We see this as a trend all across uh, the 1040 window, actually. Uh, This is the time when the Spirit of God is moving across that region.
0: As you say that, I'm reminded of of uh, something you said when we visited. That um, basically there are seasons of sowing and seasons of reaping, and you know, if we're seeing some reaping, it is in large part because of a long, long season of sowing um, where you don't necessarily see a lot of fruit. Talk about that. Just the idea of fruit. If we if we look at fruit as you know numbers or growth in individuals, but I mean it's challenging to look at to look at fruit um and i would imagine there are moments of discouragement for folks living overseas in the 1040 window what what do you look to to measure fruit i mean what's your what's your perspective and maybe there's a maybe there's an encouragement here to to uh to folks working in the 1040 window but how do you measure fruit what's your take on that in
1: 1935 a man named c r marsh took his family uh from england to algeria and they lived among the Kabyle Berbers in the Kabyle Mountains. They, um, they served the people there. They lived with them. He sent his children off during World War II uh, to England for five years. Didn't see his children for five years because it was too dangerous there. Uh, then uh, retrieved his children, kept ministering there uh, through 1965. Um, he went from village to village preaching the gospel. Uh, and there again, it's a, it's a Muslim country, uh, like all across North Africa. Um, he was faithful. He ministered to people. He, uh, treated people medically, even though he he wasn't a doctor, but he could help people with their daily problems. Um, his wife did as well. And, um, after 30 years or so of ministry, uh, 17 people had come to Christ among that people group of millions. And most of those were fed poison or ground up glass and died. Um, and he retired, went back to England without seeing uh, a lot of results, but he was faithful in sowing the seed. His daughter, uh, Daisy Marsh continued to minister there and even did radio programs in the, in the late eighties, uh, God's Spirit moved on that people group. And today there is a church planning movement, the only church planning movement uh, significant in uh, North Africa. And I believe with all my heart is because he was faithful to sow the seed, he and his family and some others. Uh, yes, it was after he died, even though he didn't, never got to see this church planning movement, uh, but he sowed the seed. And that's a required step. And we don't know, that's why the fruit of our labors is not a church planting movement or people. Uh, Although the only fruit required of us is the fruit uh, described in Galatians 5, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Obviously, we're to be busy and at work, but uh, the fruit is God's fruit. It's not fruit that we bring uh, through our efforts. All that's required of us is to be faithful and obedient.
0: I think of First uh, Corinthians, I think it's fifteen, where Paul talks about if the resurrection didn't happen, we're, the, we're to, to be the most pitied among, among all men. And so you look at somebody like a C.R. Marsh, and you say, if this isn't true, he's thrown his life away. He's he's I mean, he's moved to another country. He's lost five years with his kids. All those sorts of things. But he said, what's more valuable is what I can't see, and it's what's it's what's on the other, what's on the other side. And so it's just powerful and challenging example of faith there to say, there's very tangible, I'm giving up this because I think that is more valuable. Um, even if you don't see the proof of it moment by moment. So that's, I, I think that's, that may have been the story. I bet it is that you, um, that you share when I was with you. And I remember that one, that one stuck with me. So, um, Let's talk about, let's talk about um, your work in connection with Lightbearers just a little bit. Um, I, I know this, but, but uh, fill us in. How, how do we connect originally? How do Lightbearers connect with, with your work originally, John?
1: Well, I met uh, Kevin at a, uh, a meeting, a North African consultation, and uh, was immediately impressed, impressed with his spirit, his description of what you guys were doing and uh, in making disciples and uh, making people aware of uh, missions and supporting missions. Um, Then uh, we had um, uh, a group uh, come over, including Kevin and uh, you and some others. And uh, we just had a great time and I was very encouraged personally. Um, Then over the years we've had this uh, relationship and it's been great. Um, I love encouraging students Every time I encounter the students that uh, work with you guys, that you guys work with, um, they are sharp and uh, top-notch and people who know the word and have a heart uh, for building God's kingdom.
0: Well, I appreciate that. We do. We got some some great students. It's fun to get to know. Um, a group of those students came and visited you a year ago, um, and it kind of raises the question of, What's the value of sending college students overseas for a couple of weeks? I mean, I, you'll hear sometimes, why not just, why not just send a bunch of money overseas? Why, why spend, you know, $2,000, $3,000 to send these students for two weeks overseas? What, what do you see as the value um, of, of students taking a short-term trip um, serving, uh, serving missionaries in the 1040 window or anywhere? I mean, what's the, what's the value of students doing something like that?
1: It's an investment on both our parts. Uh, for them, it's encountering uh, another culture, uh, lostness, uh, the need. Uh, there's nothing like being there. You can read about it, uh, but uh, walking with these people, uh, I think it's something they never forget. And for me, it's investment in them. I love seeing what God is doing in young people's lives. You never know, um, you know where people are gonna end up, and I'm not necessarily recruiting for our particular work uh, for no matter where they go, it's it'll be satisfying for me that God used me in some way, uh, to uh, to speak to them and uh, as He directs their lives.
0: Yeah, we've always kind of said with our students, one of the goals in sending them overseas is that they would see the work of the Body of Christ um, overseas, and and the hope is that our students, because so much of our work is in discipleship, is is growing them. And so it can feel as if it's all about them, you know. Hey, we want you to grow in character. We want you to, you know, make better life choices. Those sorts of things. And so it's so significant for them to see, but it's actually not about you. There's a there's a broader story. God has always been about reaching all nations and all peoples. You know, Re- Revelation talks about that the the Lamb uh, purchased with His blood people from from all nations. And so we want our students to say, I'm part of that broader story and sometimes it's it's easy to forget that and then you you get out of your culture out of your comfort zone and you see that and it's really eye-opening for our students um, especially those who have never been out of the states before so uh so appreciate you you hosting i know our, our students had a great time with you um on the on the project side of things what Light lightbearers does is we do these these grants that are um they're not huge they're not you know, two million dollar grants. Um, they're they're smaller grants that are project based that that we really hope spur along work. Um, you know, as somebody who who lives overseas, what's the what's the place of grants like that? Um, what's the place of you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar grants? What 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 good is something like that going to do when the need is so so great in these places?
1: Well, our work is made up of lots of um small uh, projects uh, regarding our platform work. And, and then there are things like translation that really just uh, sometimes just require a, a, a not too large amount uh, to get that particular project done. Uh, for example, uh, a, a translation project uh, for a year might need, you know, five to $10,000. Um, a well project could be four or $5,000, sometimes less. And, and there's, a, there's a large impact with that, uh, a significant impact and the time you spend with those people in a, in a, even in a well project or something. We've seen uh, people come to Christ through, a, just recently, a well project um, that we did in the mountains, and we had a, uh, a new believer to manage that project, and his wife came to Christ, and then another couple in the village where they were doing the project came to Christ. Um, through their light, um, also of course the translation projects you know that's going to have a an eternal and uh, uh, great impact on a people group.
0: When you say translation projects, um, you know w- give us some picture of the scope I mean those are that's not as easy as uh, picking up a book and putting it in Google Translate. I mean it's a multi-year process. Give us some idea of the scope of what when we say translation work, what's included in that?
1: Yeah, translation of the whole Bible can take many years. That's why we break it down into smaller projects. Okay, we're going to do, um, you know, the Gospels, or we're going to do Luke, and then be able to get the Jesus film from that. Uh, in many people groups where there is no Word of God, usually the first thing they do is Luke, because the the script of the Jesus film is uh, mostly Luke, is based on Luke. And, um, well, it is the Word of God. It's, it's pretty much straight from Luke, n- not the entire thing, but, uh, um, you know, the, what carries the story through. And, um, and then, so that would be like one project, or the Jesus film, you know, recording that audio and putting it with a video would be a project. If you break it down like that, bite-sized pieces, uh, it's doable. Uh, we sometimes don't think about, well, what is the cost get getting the entire Word of God? We just try to do segments uh, and then use that immediately. I was
0: going to say, as you get the Gospel of Luke done, for example, mm-hmm. you're putting that into, into work immediately, sharing that with people. Yes. And start conversation. Print
1: it, uh, record it, audio, uh, give people the audio. They can listen to it on their telephones. Uh, eventually uh, put the audio with the Jesus film, with the video, and so that people can watch that.
0: Cool. well uh, one last question um, since we're talking about scripture um, I'd love to just ask you you know as somebody who's been overseas for for a while now um, I know the scripture is a, is a big deal to you it's something sustaining to you what what's some scripture that has kept you going has, has either either sustained you or been kind of the vision in front of you that's kept you that's kept you focused are there one or two that come to mind you'd love to share with our group.
1: Oh, well, Romans chapter 10, you know, verse 13, for all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what does it say right after that in verse 14? How can they call on the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone preached to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And what that scripture says to me is that a mighty God who could put a neon sign in the sky simultaneously throughout the world, say, I'm God, I sent my son Jesus, believe in him and be saved, doesn't choose to do it that way, but rather chooses to use weak, fallible human beings like us to carry out his most important task. And if we don't go, they won't know.
0: Uh, John, it's good. And you're so faithful to continue to hold in front of our students and in front of our staff, uh, the need to, to go and to, um, to raise up more workers. And so our hope is that some of our library students go and that, um, some that, uh, stay, um, and and maybe most stay in the States, um, that they are still a part of this, this broader story. Um, I said, that was my last question. Let me ask you one more for those who stay, for those who are in the States, what do you say is a good way to encourage those who are overseas, a good way to pray for them, a good way to, to care for them, um, the ones who are overseas?
1: Well, uh, part of the scripture I just shared was, how can they preach unless they are sent? That's an extremely important element. Uh, like, in other words, I've gone, but I can't go unless someone sends me. I believe that's the local church, but it's also the body of Christ at large. Uh, when you guys come over there and have walked with me, that's been encouraging you guys, even though you weren't around when we went in the first place, you're a part of the sending because you're encouraging us and supporting us and uh, being a part of what we do. Um, So uh, not everyone is called to go uh, far away to a cross-cultural ministry, but everyone is called um, to be a part of the kingdom. And so uh, The consciousness of what is going on, what God's doing around the world, is important in supporting that. Um, And also, uh, God is bringing the world right here to the United States for so many international students and immigration. uh, People who have never heard the gospel are coming here. So, just being aware of our surroundings and uh, uh, not being asleep and just, uh, you know, uh, asleep in the light, you know, in the church, uh, but uh, being aware of lostness wherever it is
0: it's good well John again thanks for the time Uh, thanks for driving over to Fayetteville uh, to spend time with with our staff and with our students and uh, we'll see again on on one side of the ocean or the other hopefully
1: it's been a pleasure and encouragement thanks thanks
0: you've been listening to the Light Bears Institute podcast a production of Light Bears Ministries for more information visit lightbears.com